is Nick Austin, and on this edition of the podcast, we continue our look at the ongoing negotiations between the UAW and Big Three automakers, as it's something that affects us a lot here in Detroit and Southeast Michigan. In fact, that's why the Detroit Regional Chamber recently wrote an open letter to Michigan business, government, labor, and civic leaders expressing their thoughts, concerns, and hope for the current series of negotiations. In the open letter, they called for a speedy resolution with fairness and long-term viability for all. But what exactly does that mean and what would that look like? Is it something that can actually happen? We spoke with the president and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber, Sandy Barua, to get his thoughts. Sandy, welcome to Detroit Today. Good to be with you, Nick. I'm happy to have you here, too, because we've been taking in a lot of viewpoints on these labor negotiations and just strikes generally around the area. And one thing that I think we all agree is important is for folks to talk to each other. But for you, why do you think it's more important for these two sides to come together more quickly for what you would call a speedy resolution? Well, I think, you know, any time that there's a labor dispute, everybody wants a speedy resolution. I think one of the things that we're trying to highlight is that while we want a speedy re- resolution, it just can't be a resolution at all costs. You know, when we look at strikes, and certainly, you know, there has been over 300 strikes across the United States this year. So, you know, we are definitely seeing kind of resurgence in uh, the organized labor movement in the United States. And that's frankly not overly surprising based on the labor dynamics coming out of COVID. But when you look at the auto industry or the mobility industry, uh, it is a global industry. In fact, it is perhaps one of the most global of industries. So this strike is actually very different than, say, the UPS strike that we you know, saw resolved uh, earlier this summer, uh, or warehouse workers like in Amazon facilities, uh, because those are essentially kind of you know, North American markets, uh, whereas the automotive industry is very much an international market. So we have to look at the global economics, not just the local economics. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And I will have a question uh, to dovetail off of that in a moment. But before we get there, you did mention that you can't have a resolution at all costs. So what do you think a good quality resolution looks like? For example, UAW workers say they want things like 40% wage increase into tiered wages, 32-hour work week, increase in profit sharing. Are these things that should be a part of it? Do you have a framework of what a fair deal might look like? Yeah, no, I'll be honest with you. I mean, we're first of all, I want to be very, very clear. We are not on the inside of these negotiations. Mm-hmm. You know, neither the union leadership or the auto industry, you know, are have me on speed dial saying, hey, Sandy, what do you think we should do? Should they? Uh, they, they, have their, they have their hands full. Okay. Um, uh, so, yeah, listen, uh, you know, when we, what we're trying to say is that, Listen, uh, we started out, you know, every statement with, you know, right now at this moment, you know, the companies are doing relatively well and our workers deserve a raise. No question about that. Right. So let, let's just kind of get that get off the table. You know, I am not going to opine on what the right percentage should be. Uh, I am not in a position to determine, you know, what the companies uh, are able to provide in terms of things like, you know, a four week, four day work week, which I think is a little, you know, extreme. Uh, things like the return of, you know, guaranteed pensions and the defined benefit uh, you know, retirement plans. I mean, those things kind of, you know, went away with, you know, vinyl roofs and wire wheel covers. Uh, so I don't think those are coming back. Mm. But, you know, those are the things that, you know, I, and I think everyone should, you know, uh, support uh, 
uh, the union's right to bargain for. But, you know, I'm not going to get in the middle of what the, uh, what the details of the agreement should be. What we're trying to say is that if the final agreement between uh, the union and our great auto companies uh, is uncompetitive and uh, makes uh, us either cost uncompetitive or overly inefficient, then that is going to have serious ramifications for Michigan's economy and all of us who remain in Michigan over the long term. That's kind of our underlying message. And that's why we say, yes, a speedy agreement, but not an agreement at all costs. All right. Well, so if it makes us uncompetitive, that would seem to me to look like it's looking at the concerns of the business. The business doesn't exist or it can't operate efficiently. That's going to harm a lot of other people outside of the union. It's going to harm, uh, from the logic I'm hearing, correct me if I'm wrong, going to hard, harm suppliers, tier one, tier two, tier three. It's going to harm people who rely on the industry in order to have a stronger Michigan. I think the question then would become, is there any insight or idea on that might mean workers take a little bit less or take something on the chin? You want something that they agree to. That's very clear. But I guess my question would be, is there an argument as to why a UAW worker should say, hey, I should be factoring in all of these other things uh, instead of just what's best for me when I don't feel like necessarily the company is always looking out for what's best for me? Well, again, I'm not a UAW worker. That's right. Right. You know, so and I, I would never deign to put myself in somebody else's uh, somebody else's shoes. You know, again, our job is that, you know, we are the third largest chamber of commerce in the country. We have the honor of representing uh, not just the automotive companies that are here that have the brand names that we're all familiar with, including, you know, companies like, you know, like Toyota. You know, and Nissan and, and others, we you know we represent them as well. But also all of the companies in the supply chain, uh, names that you necessarily uh, perhaps haven't heard of, but are all make the parts that go into your you know your Ford Fusion or your Chevy Blazer or what, whatever you're driving these days. Uh, so and all the other businesses. So you know one of the uh, great factoids that we try to stress is that for every job. Uh, that a Ford, GM, Stellantis, Toyota, et cetera, et cetera, uh, have, it relates to 10 other jobs, mm. seven to 10 other jobs. And not all of those jobs are uh, contained in the automotive supply base. So some of these are barbershop jobs, restaurant jobs, barkeep jobs, you know, housekeeping jobs, you, you name it, right? So uh, right now, uh, you know, I think Anderson Economic uh, Group has been doing a great job of kind of tracking just the costs so far of this quote-unquote limited strike, uh, and I can't remember the last number. I think it's like $3 billion or close to five. I, I can't remember, so please don't quote me on the right number. Uh, Patrick Anderson will hit me over head with a with a big bad if I That's get that number assault. wrong. That's called Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, I of know, course. You're cool. so, um, so we do have to keep in mind that there's the short-term economic impact. But, you know, again, what we're really trying to stress is that if we don't keep manufacturing here in Michigan, if we give more incentive to send more manufacturing down south, either to southern states or other countries, Michigan will pay pay the price in the long term. All right. What I'm hearing, basically, uncompetitive deal. If it's too far towards uh, one side, uh, it's going to make it harder for the industry to maintain in our company or in our state. They can go elsewhere. Our state loses. 
Everybody loses. Detroit Regional Chamber doesn't want that to happen. And we are speaking to the Detroit Regional Chamber President and CEO, Sandy Barua. One question that I have for you, Sandy, is then you decided to generate this letter, an open letter uh, that's specifically to Michigan business, government, labor and civic leaders uh, to the extent that you're meaning, hey, I don't have the numbers. I can't go in and say what a fair deal looks like. Why did you think it was important for your group to write this letter? What do you think was being missed in the discussion as you guys saw it in order to prompt you to even write this? Michigan's long-term competitiveness. Uh, we did not see either uh, stakeholders or elected officials really focused on what does this mean for long-term competitiveness. Obviously, the, the political dynamic on both sides of the aisle uh, is to support the worker, and we get that, right? And again, they have every right to strike, they have every right to ask for whatever they want to ask for, and you know, you know, you know hey, God bless them, more power to them, right? Uh, but you know, we felt that we needed to ensure that there was a strong voice uh, out in the marketplace of ideas that said the automotive industry, the mobility industry, the advanced mobility industry is so centrally uh, critical to Michigan's economic health, not just today, but for for the generations to come. It'll, you know, it'll be the basis and has been the basis for all these spin-off industries. It is the basis again. Every OEM job relates to seven to ten other jobs, right? If we don't keep that healthy, thriving, and growing in the state of Michigan, Michigan's long-term, you name it, economic health, population growth, tax base, you know, health of the cities, yeah. health of our families, right, will suffer. So, you know, we said that, you know, it, you know, we have to have a conversation that is more than, you know, you know, uh, you know, solve it quickly. Uh, we think that's too shallow of an argument, right? It's, it's, yes, we want it solved quickly, but not at, not at all costs. Let's make sure we're keeping in mind the long-term uh, uh, economics of it. Um, and, you know, when they when we look at things like it's not just wage rates. I mean, people focus on, you know, the percentage of the wage rates, and that's kind of the big sexy number out there. But there are other things that, uh, you know, the unions have asked for that make doing business, you know, quite complicated and uh, and uncompetitive. You know, a lot of the reasons why our automotive companies got in trouble a dozen years ago uh, were things like, you know, really complex labor rules, mm. really complex um, uh, kind of uh, job classifications. Uh, coming out of the Great Recession in 2008 and 2009, the, the companies radically restructured. They had to because they were either they were bankrupt or they they were near bankruptcy. That you know that was a live or die situation, and they were able to streamline their works, uh, their work rules and their the work assignments, more in line with what other uh, automotive manufacturers do. There's a lot to unpack there. A lot to unpack there, Sandy. I have some thoughts, but I first want to make sure to, to get this call in because I think it is very interesting and can help add to our conversation. Before I want to do that, before I do that though, I want to let you know that the phone lines here are 313-577-1019 to get in the conversation and let us know what you think fair deal, a fair deal, a speedy resolution might look like. Do you agree with Sandy? Do you think that uh, some ideas, some thoughts, some concerns about the competitiveness of Michigan are getting lost here? How can we get that back in this discussion uh, for the benefit of all of us here in the state? Right now, we've got Frank in Detroit on the line. Frank, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Good morning, Nick. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I'm myself uh, 
was a local UAW leader at General Motors. I administered contracts uh, up through 1995. I'm pretty familiar with the auto industry. And I think that the question about competitiveness really comes down to competitiveness in regards to what? Mm. If we consider all the auto companies that are now in Mexico, who have been in Mexico for decades, and the working conditions under which uh, those workers uh, work to supply parts and whole vehicles to the U.S. market, it's, an, it's really saying to us that uh, we should be in the race to the bottom. We should be, and this is what the bailout uh, was all about in, uh, in 2009 by reducing the wages of new workers to half of the existing workforce denying them health care and their retirement, denying them pensions and retirement. These are the things that we're obligated to do in order to be competitive with workers in Mexico who work under much more difficult conditions. A, tip, a, a recent example is a, a supplier, a company by the name of VU, which is headquartered in, in Troy, but works uh, has an operation in Mexico. The workers um, were demanding a new union and a new contract. And in response, once they got to the workers got a new union, the company shut the factory down, fired all the workers. Uh, 71 of the 400 were not even denied severance. And uh, they have been blacklisted. They can't find a job anywhere in, in town. These are the conditions that we're being required to be competitive with. And we don't think that that's rational and that we need a new uh, model, a new paradigm for enabling workers in Michigan to work yeah. uh, in a competitive envi- environment and still have a living yeah. wage and, uh, and a decent life. Yeah, I, I get it, Frank. I appreciate that perspective. Need to jump in here because, again, calls coming through. Want to give Sandy a free and fair opportunity to respond. But, yes, the race to the bottom, if we want to retain competitiveness here, the problem is that it would seem that there are places that – would be below what we think we would want to pay a living wage to in Michigan. Because I think you would agree it's good for workers to have money in their pockets for the economy as well. So what response would you have, Sandy, to Frank's concerns? Well, I I certainly can't comment on uh, the company that Frank is referring to. I I know nothing about that. What I would say is that, you know, know, right now, uh, a a UAW worker that was hired in, say, 2007, 2008, uh, including uh, things like, you know, the one-time payments and profit sharing, um, is is over $80,000 a year right now. And if you're a skilled trades uh, if you have a skilled trades um, uh, certificate or moniker, uh, and you're working for one of the Detroit Three, you're you're at 130 or some odd thousand. Again, including profit sharing, not including benefits, not including health care and things like that. Uh, uh, from what I can tell, again, I am. I just want to stress, I am not on the inside of these negotiations by any stretch. Uh, but you know, many of the companies, if you you know, based on public statements, uh, have made a, a lot of. Um, you know, uh, uh, they've agreed to, you know, uh, make radical changes to mm. their kind of tier system, right? So, uh, again, you know, we're not saying uh, by any stretch of the imagination that, you know, the UAW workers don't deserve a raise. In fact, we started our letter with that. Let's be very clear. You know, uh, the companies are doing well. 
workers deserve a raise, right? You know, you know, the question is, you know, what does the entire package look like? Right. And right? I mean, what I'm hearing from right. you, you're saying from what you understand, you're not inside mm -hmm. business in this case. They've come through with some concessions, some things that you might not have yeah. seen. Yeah. Go ahead. And, and, and you know, and, and how much of this is political posturing right now? Small p political posturing. Well, that's what I wanted uh, to know. Because, right. you know, and, and listen, I Again, I'm not on the inside, but, you know, it does seem that, you know, the way that the uh, UAW leadership has kind of handled things, it's very theatrical. Wow. It's very it's very kind of Donald Trumpy uh, in terms of kind of, you know, the language and, yeah. you know, the, you know, the performance of, you know, throwing things away in a trash can. And, uh, and what if it gets uh, results, very, though? Very, very, very hyper, very hyperbolic. Um, and well, again, I mean, we can have a separate conversation right. about, you know, do do the, you know, do the methods, mm -hmm. you know, uh What's the phrase? The does the end justify the means? Right. The very and, Machiavellian of you. Yeah, and you know, do and you know, is is that the kind of society we we want to live in? That's a whole other conversation. Well, Sandy, then I want to have a conversation with you about something. I know you're not on the inside. That's fair. So mm -hmm. let's think of some things that we do understand, right? Because what I hear a lot of here, you know. It's like we're asking one industry to make up for the foibles of things that are happening internationally and some things that the auto industry doesn't touch or doesn't have a connection to, right? We have we have to pay for, you have privatized healthcare here, right? They don't have that in some other countries, right? Or maybe higher minimum wage that we have here that they don't have in other countries. But even outside of that, tax policy, all of these levers political. What role does local, state and federal government play in uh, helping create a climate that can allow for workers to win, businesses to win, and still remain competitive, like you're saying. I mean, does should government play a role in these negotiations? Should government play a role in policy? Is there any policy that they could enact that could help this out? Well, there's probably two things I would say to that, Nick. Number one, I you know we've often heard uh, President Biden say that he is the most pro labor. Uh, president uh, in U.S. history. And when he says that, uh, I would take him at his word. Uh, when you look at some of the decisions that the National Labor Relations Board has made, uh, you know, uh, you know, they have been very, very uh, union leaning. Uh, you know, President Biden is the first president to uh, walk a picket line, a union, uh, a union picket line. So uh, I'm not saying that as a positive or negative, you know, as someone who has a long national political background. I'm just going to say that he is very much the most pro-labor uh, president we, we, we've ever had. You know, the second thing, you know, I, I would say is that, you know, should, should government have a formal role in the negotiations between, you know, a, uh, a private employer and an individual you know, workers, or in this case, you know, those who represent the union. Uh, that's not a country I necessarily want to live in. Okay. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, one, if there is sometimes when there's a national emergency, uh, you know, the government does have to step in. We should always keep that as rare as possible. But in this case, uh, you know, certainly, you know, I would encourage, um, uh, you know, government, uh, leaders to be true, honest brokers and, you know, look out not only for the interests of the workers, but look out for Michigan's total e economic interests, both in the short and long term. One more call before we let you go, because you've been very generous with your time, Sandy. Steve in Detroit. Go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Uh, so my question is sort of, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer of 
math and science and algorithms and things of that nature. And uh, to determine a, you know, fair wage and a fair deal, is anyone taking the scientific approach, you know, with all the business analysts and risk assessors out there and, you know, economists, are we taking numbers and determining from everywhere around the world of workers, you know, of, or even just in America, um, taken with inflation, you know, is, is there, a, is that, is there a, a talk that's going on like that to the, this approach of yeah. defining, cause you got to come to the table with something, right? Really? Defining yeah. a fair way. Um, is, is that, I haven't heard anything about that. Maybe there is, maybe there's not. Uh, well, fair enough. I, I appreciate the, the perspective, Steve. I mean, again, I understand, Sandy, you're not involved with the negotiations. You might be hearing some things. If people thought about algorithms using math, science, maybe get chat GBT involved to figure out what a proper wage would be. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to opine yeah. on what the union leadership or what the company leadership, uh, you know, what tools that they're using. Uh, these are both sophisticated organizations. I would just say this, you know, first of all, uh, you know, to put things in perspective, as it is now, you know, the average hourly rate uh, for a UEW worker is about $65 an hour. Uh, when you look at the transplants is what we call them, you know, the foreign companies who have set up shop here in the United States. Um, they're at about 55, 50, 50, 55. Uh, Tesla workers are at about $45 uh, dollars an hour. And then that doesn't, you know, and then we can have a whole other discussion about what's happening uh, in the rest of the world, which, and I agree, we know we're not, you know, we're not trying to say, oh, let's, let, let's, let's do the race to the bottom of one of your other callers use that phrase, and I think that's a good one to remember because we don't want that. The other thing to remember is that, you know, uh, you know, when I was born, which admittedly was a long time ago, uh, you know, the big four at that time, yeah. you know, including uh, our old friend American Motors, you know, controlled 90% of the domestic market, right? Yep. Today, uh, you know, the, the Detroit Three uh, control about 47%. Uh, you know, General Motors, you know, uh, you know, as recently as what, you know, 25 years ago was the world's largest global maker, uh, automaker. And, you know, now they're uh, number five, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, as recently as 2008, when we went through the credit crisis, uh, China had a domestic market of six million units a year. They're now at 26 million. They're the largest car market uh, in the world, and they export more cars than any other country on the planet. The market has changed. That has changed dramatically. What you're telling me is we need an international workers union to negotiate across countries and continents. Well, I'm a fan of Star Trek too, but yeah. I don't think we're quite yeah. there yet with a with a United Federation of Planets. We're going to have to end it right there. Sandy Barua, President and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber. Thank you so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Good to be with you. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and me, Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Podcast editing by David Lyon. And our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET in Detroit. You can support the show by leaving a rating or a comment. Thanks for listening.